Hello everyone, I'm Zola Zinget. Welcome to COVID Stuck Abroad, the podcast where I get to chat with South Africans who are living abroad in 2020, when COVID-19 changed the world as we know it. This podcast aims to tell the personal accounts of guests featured and does not claim to offer verified facts. To get verified information about COVID-19 and related information, please refer to the official World Health Organization website, as well as the official South African government website. Please see the show notes for links. It must also be stated that COVID stuck abroad will not tolerate xenophobic sentiments. Listeners should recognize that the personal experiences of one individual cannot be viewed as a representation of an entire nation, ethnicity, or culture. Okay, now let's get to today's episode. Hello everyone. Thank you for joining me again. Today I'm joined by Gareth Smith, who has been based in New York City since 2014. After moving there for his postgraduate studies, he now works as a director of photography for mostly long-form video work, such as documentaries, as well as commercials. Hi, Gareth. Hi, Zola. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. Oh, my goodness. How's your morning? It's going well. It's, um, I've started a little bit earlier than I usually start, but oh. um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm it's actually a beautiful day here in New York. It's been a bit of a rainy, gloomy, kind of muggy week. Um, so today's the first kind of sunny day. It's still muggy because New York summers are very um, humid. So I'm very happy to see that the sun's out today at least. Yeah, I actually am fascinated by New York weathers, I guess, because I don't know, like, is it get, does it get really hot or is it just like humid... Yeah, I would say that the summer is pretty sticky, uh, is kind of the best way to describe it. Everything sticks because it's so hot, you're so sweaty, the pavement melts. Uh, <laughs> no, those high-rise buildings don't like, help with, like, Yeah, there's not a lot heat. of shade, you know. Yeah. So the summer can be pretty harsh because it just kind of hangs in the air. But then every now and again, the humidity will lift and it'll be really beautiful. Makes you appreciate those days. But I certainly miss Cape Town summers. Really? Okay, I can't say I was much of a fan of Cape Town summers, but... (laughs) It sounds like it got really hot this last summer, right? I have no idea. I haven't been to Cape Town in a few years, but when when I was living there, the summers would get nice. But I don't know, compared to Joburg summers, I think Joburg has the best weather to be honest, for spring yeah. and summer. So. No, that's true. Summer, spring in Joburg is so It's amazing. With the jacarandas. Oh, it's just, it's like the most amazing weather. I can't wait for yeah. spring. I just cannot wait. <laughs> okay. It's let, cold there now, right? It's better. It got really cold, I think, in June. It's getting a bit better, but there's a bit of a cold front. It was like minus nine degrees in Bloemfontein, I think, a few days back. Wow. Yeah, so I was glad I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, but you know how it is. It only gets really extremely cold, like mainly in the early hours of the morning. So as long as you're not yeah. out and about, it shouldn't be too bad. So yeah, it's it's getting better. There's hope at the end of this freaking gloomy winter. I've had enough of this winter. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Let's get into it. How did you end up going to New York? 
I always wanted to study at the International Center of Photography, which is a photo institute that has a documentary program that really focuses on long-form documentary mm-hmm. projects. So I, I first did an undergraduate degree in um, at UCT yeah. in philosophy, and then I did an, an honors degree in philosophy there. All the while, I was sort of freelancing as a photographer, working mostly in for newspapers. And at the time, I was freelancing for the independent newspaper group. So mm. I would work around Cape Town for the Cape Times and the Cape Argus and the Weekend Argus as, as one of their freelance contributors. And mm. then as I was studying more, I realized that I didn't really have that much more time. <laughs> so that work kind of had to slow down and I had to just focus on my studies. Mm. And after that year, I realized that I was really interested in longer form storytelling, not just kind of in and out news photography where you don't really even get to know anyone. Mm. So I wanted to learn more about that process and came to the International Center of Photography here in New York, did a one-year program, and yeah, and I've been here ever since, I guess. What was it like moving to New York in 2014? You know, like, well, can you paint a picture for us what, you know, what it was like living... Because I can imagine it must have changed, you know, between like, say, 2014, 2016, and going into 2020, like there must have been so many changes. So what was it like when you first arrived in 2014? Well, the first feeling I think I had was just feeling really overwhelmed to go from Cape Town to New York City was a bit just of a culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a massive city. There are just so many people and buildings and um and it made me realize that uh, i guess i had a lot of growing up to do um oh. <laughs> i think when, yeah it just felt like it was a, a city that really challenged you and it's it's kind of a difficult place it's quite it can be very rewarding mm-hmm. but it can also be like just a very harsh challenging place to be it's very expensive everyone's very um career focused and it's really, you know, it takes about, usually it takes about an hour to, to get around to wherever you want to go. So that's a very different lifestyle. You know, I used to, I used to see my friends, you know, in 20 minutes or whatever and mm. hang out and meet at a bar or, or something. And so now it was a much more, just a, it's a bigger city and the dynamics are at this different scale. And it took me a, a couple of years, I think, to find my kind of community in the yeah. city. But did you enjoy it? Like, Yeah, I mean, okay. it was. it's a fascinating city to live in because it, it really does feel like you can access any sort of community or cultural place that can like, inspire you. There's just mm. so much going on. You know, there's a lot of um, museums and cultural institutions. And then there's also just like a lot happening in the city every day. And so it took me a while to kind of find my place within that. I'd say the first year while I was studying helped a lot because I was able to like meet a lot of people immediately mm. just by being a student in my program. And the International Center of Photography has a lot of students from all over the world. So it was a great opportunity to kind of make friends. And everyone's kind of in the same boat because a lot of people were just arriving to New York City. Mm-hmm. On my first day when I arrived, I actually sat down next to my now husband oh. <laughs> so that was a um kind of beautiful 
little story about my first day in New York. And <laughs> yeah, and we got married in Cape Town just at the end of 2018. Oh, okay. We're going to get into that. <laughs> so how did you then end up working as like a director of photography? I think I'm just interested in that as well because so you studied for like a year and then did you immediately go into freelancing or like how did yeah, you end so up I, as a freelancer? Yeah. So I was obviously more focused on photography mm. when I was studying. You kind of work on a thesis project a long-term project while you're a student. And I made a project at the time in New York City. It was kind of the start of the Black Lives Matter movement. Eric Garner had just been killed by a police officer mm. in Staten Island just before I arrived in the city. And there were a lot of like very challenging conversations around race and policing in the city. Mm. Um, and I felt like a lot of the reporting was very focused on protest and a lot of um a lot of the reporting kind of i felt was missing an element of people's experiences um mm -hmm. and so i got really interested in the community where eric Garner was killed and he was from that community and most of his family still lived in that community and so i spent the year kind of meeting his family and his friends and photographing the area where he was living and working with his family and his friends, they kind of like helped me guide the photo project um, into this place where I think it, it really was an attempt to try and reflect on the loss and the trauma of his death and all the people who've kind of lost a friend and lost a father mm -hmm. and how they mobilized those, that trauma into activism. So I did, ended up doing a little video piece about his mom, Miss Gwen Carr, who is now a very prominent activist and seeking justice still today, now mm -hmm. seven years later for her son. That project was kind of my first experience of doing a longer form photo project. So I did a little bit of video while I was a student mm -hmm. and I kind of just put something together and it, it kind of worked. And that whole project got published, both the photo essay and the video, in the New York Times that summer because it was the first anniversary oh. of Eric Conan's death. And so the New York Times published the project. And I was able to get a little internship as an assistant video editor, which I really did not know very much about video editing at all, <laughs> at a small production company. And so that was every day for about six months. But... Halfway through it, I started realizing that I really wanted to freelance and that I was kind of struggling with the structure mm. <laughs> um, of working full-time every day. And so it was a great opportunity because I really learned how to begin editing and how to approach filmmaking from that perspective. And But very quickly realized like my interest was really more in shooting and directing, though I'm very glad to have had the opportunity to build those, those skills as an editor because they've really helped me to find work and, and to also like be a better cinematographer and be a better director because you're thinking about editing a lot. Mm. So I started freelancing because I was getting some work from the New York Times and slowly like pitching projects to other publications and applying for grants. And so by the end of the year, I realized I could just make the jump well, I didn't realize that. I, I was feeling quite 
stressed out about making the jump to fully freelancing, but it seemed like there was some opportunities coming my way and that the full-time job was kind of like holding me back a little bit. So I decided to, yeah, just freelance full-time. Yeah, I think the reason I was asking is because I just thought, wouldn't it be difficult to sort of freelance while being a foreigner, like in America? Yeah. So after studying, you are allowed in the States to work in your field for one year through a process called OPT, Optional Practical Training. And so it has to be in the same field that you studied and you can work for a year. And for me, I was slowly starting to get some assignments and I figured that if I could try and get as much freelance work as possible, I might be able to apply for a visa to stay on another three years. Mm -hmm. And those visas are really focused more on people who are like publishing work or working for bigger institutions, yeah. not so much being like an assistant editor at a production company. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was able to spend that year kind of doing more freelance work. I applied for a grant, which was kind of crucial because I got a grant to continue my work on Staten Island, huh. the area where I was working on yeah. the other project, and to move towards making like a project that was a bit wider in scope. And so having the grant, which was a two-year grant, kind of enabled me to then apply to stay on for another three years through a work visa. Okay, that's amazing. Like, yeah, like I, I do think that's incredible that you can have such opportunities, even though, you know, technically at that point you're not like a citizen or a resident. Totally. And for me it was also just I was – the key with freelancing, at least in in New York, and I'm sure this is the key everywhere, is to have a very diverse set of skills and to try and always add to those skills mm. so that you can not be too specialized early on and so that you can take a variety of work. So, for example, I wasn't just focusing on getting photography assignments. I was also pitching video stories mm. and trying to work as a videographer and doing weddings and doing, you know, like little bits of everything because you kind of have to put all those things together when you freelance to yeah. to kind of survive. And, you know, my, my then boyfriend, now husband, mm. was also a freelance photographer <laughs> and also an international. So, you know, we really had to – we were both in the same boat and we just had to kind of figure it out together because it also just kind of made sense to stay here because for either of us to move to our countries, yeah. it was too complicated. Mm. So we decided that we'd rather just try and stay in New York. There was a lot of kind of opportunities with work here. And, you know, we were just dating at that point. Mm. So we just kind of wanted to see where it was going. Yeah. Okay. But then, you know, just to even get into sort of the topic of this podcast, I can imagine yeah. for both of you, it'd be difficult to continue your work when the pandemic hit. So let's start there. Like, when did you even first hear about like the coronavirus? I was working in Iowa for a publication. I was there for the whole month, which was the the primary, the Democratic primary, in uh -huh. which the Democratic when was Party this in, in the Jan United States January twenty twenty in January. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's the first primary. It's kind of like a a classic kind of first story about American politics mm. in the election cycle is kind of like the first primary in, in that race. So that was December, January. 
And while we were there, the news broke about the coronavirus. And it still felt very removed. It kind of felt mm. like a repeat news story of other viruses that have have kind of come up, you know, H1N1, bird flu. Yeah. And at the time we were so immersed in this, in reporting on, on American politics. I remember like I was actually in the bus filming with Andrew Yang, who was one of the candidates who actually just ran for mayor of New York city. And I remember filming him and he's like talking about this coronavirus and, you know, people asking, is it going to be a big deal? Do you think it's going to be a big deal? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I think it might be a bit bigger than, than other things. <laughs> and here we are now, a year later. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, That's so, so interesting, because that even he was already up. speaking about, like, universal incomes, and, like, it's so weird how quickly so many countries just took that up, even during this pandemic, when it seemed so far off. And even he was saying it might be a big deal. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So we actually are, are busy. We followed him through the mayor race yeah. and we've worked on it like a short form. No, actually, it might actually be a feature form about his mayor's race oh. and tying together some of his work when he was president in that form. Anyway, it's kind of complicated. <laughs> but, um, so I was traveling a lot at that time. I came back to New York. I was due to go back to South Africa right around then because the one way that I've been able to kind of keep in touch with home and my family and um, friends is to try to go home every mm. year for, you know, ideally four or five weeks, which is such a luxury. But as a freelancer, yeah. that's kind of one of the things that you can kind of do a little bit is like say, okay, well, I'm just going to try and do these weeks there. And usually the key is like finding someone who can take your apartment in New York because rent's so expensive. So uh, if you can find someone to sublet your apartment yeah. and cover your rent, then it kind of makes sense to just take some time and, and be in South Africa. So that's kind of what we've done in the past. Every year we've tried to go for a few weeks. So when were you supposed to come? I was hoping to come in December. Of and, 2019. Yeah, I got the job of 2019 and I got the job to go to Iowa for a month. Mm. Um, and it's very rare. It's the first time I've ever gotten a job that's a month long. So I took the job yeah. and said, well, we can go in March. We'll go to South Africa in March. And by this point, it had already been a year since we'd been there. And so we were already kind of homesick, mm. longing to, to kind of catch up with people. And then in February, it just kind of became clear that no one could really travel or it felt kind of risky to travel. And by March, of course, New York City was the epicenter of the pandemic and mm. it was totally locked down. What was that like? I'm so fascinated by that because I feel like it seemed to have been a dominant effect, you know, from like China to some um, Asian countries. And then, you know, in the West, it sort of was like Italy that went into like hyper lockdown first. And then New York, I feel, sort of became one of the last standalone places to sort of be in lockdown. Because after that, it just felt like, you know, all the dumbness fell everywhere the around the world. world. Yeah. 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 Whereas yeah. New York is still like one of the last ones we were watching from afar being like, what is going on there? You know, what was that like to have been right in the middle of it? You know, I was getting a lot of messages from her. People yeah. People were really worried about us. And of course, at that point, we really didn't know how this thing spread. And what was very high risk, what wasn't very high risk. So mm -hmm. in a way, 
it was a kind of challenging because we just didn't know and it was just really scary and, and the city totally locked down by about middle of March. Mm. We we didn't leave our apartment. We were, you know, stockpiling as much groceries as we could go and get. Mm. There was a national toilet paper shortage, which is just so ridiculous. I remember us, actually, I remember this very clearly. We had friends who were visiting, and this was like the very last time we saw friends for a good month and a half. Mm. We had a group of friends over at our house, and I remember going downstairs and like wiping the doorknobs before they came because I was just like, oh, we should just make sure that everything's kind of clean. And then they came. Of course, now we know that like actually the highest risk thing is like people in a room yeah. in an enclosed space. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the, that was the kind of last thing that we did was we had like five or ten friends over for dinner, and then after that it was just like. We just didn't see anyone for a month, two months maybe. And it, we were in that very weird stage where it was really just scary. Mm. At night, you know, ambulances everywhere. We live very close to a hospital. One of the hospitals that had a morgue outside the hospital. Jeez. In a trailer, in a, they basically couldn't handle the, the load. And so they the hospitals here all had kind of these refrigerated trucks parked outside. Um, and it's like you could see it? Yeah, yeah. It was a really scary time. And as a journalist, I felt very kind of torn because it felt like an important story to be working on, but at the same time, there was a lot of people working on it, and I just felt really unsafe. Mm. You know, we were wiping down our groceries and, wiping down our mail. <laughs> it's kind of like this, it's funny now to look back yeah. at it, but it was, and, and we weren't wearing masks because no, everyone was like, no masks don't work. And now we know that masks do work. And so it was an interesting time because I was like in it. And part of me was always wondering, like, what are the things that we're doing now mm. that we're going to look back on in 10 years and be like, that was crazy. Why, why did we do that? And I definitely felt that way when I was like wiping down my <laughs> my, my mail <laughs> with bleach. Cloth. I was like, I don't think this is working, and I think we're going to be looking at this in a couple of months and laughing. Yeah, I remember in that like when we started sort of having to sort of you know do the whole wipe down things, and I was just like, there was a part of me that was like, surely if this is how you know this disease spread, this virus spreads. I felt like my entire family would have had it by now because I wasn't, you know, as consistent as I, you know, at the time thought I should have been because it's so hard to forget to, like, to remember or rather to, like, you know, wipe down your hands or, like, sanitize every time you've touched a trolley or you've touched a shelf at a shop or whatever the case is. I was just like, is this really how this spreads? Because I just feel like I would have had it by now. But even now, like, now that I think I've had it, it's still hard to sort of know exactly how you could have contracted it or where you could have contracted it from, which, you know, brings me to my next question to you. I know you also had it um, at some point. What was that experience like? Do you know how you perhaps contracted it or what happened? So we got COVID in November. 
The summer in New York, so between about April and August, mm. September, was actually weirdly kind of normal. Things weren't totally back to normal mm. at all, but people were kind of seeing friends, mostly outside. Mm. Restaurants had outdoor seating. So the summer was a time where there was actually quite a kind of return to, I wouldn't say normality, but people were out and about. Mm. So most people that we knew kind of had had COVID in the earlier part of the pandemic during mm. lockdown. Yeah. And that was like the scary time when you couldn't test for it. Mm. No one really knew how you got it, how you, how you could um, give it to someone else. But by November, you could test for it. And so we actually, we got a car in August because our work situation was such that we needed to travel by using a car. We were also just really scared of taking the subway. There was a mm. whole time, like a six-month period, where people were just scared of taking the subway. So we rented cars every time we had to work, and it just it got so expensive that at some point we thought, well, we could lease a car mm. for a year or two and save some money actually and have a car the whole time which would be great to be able to like get out of the city so we did that and for my birthday in september we went up to maine to a national park and went camping because we thought well this seems like a safe thing we could do we're gonna drive in our own car and go camping we're gonna be outside tents and this feels like a safe thing that we could do on the third day, my husband started feeling unwell. Oh. We did the whole trip. I started to have some symptoms. We really had like tummy bug symptoms. It wasn't really in our chest or anything like that. Yeah. When we got back here, it was kind of the Tuesday. And I said, we were going to see our landlord. He was going to come upstairs and he's a bit older than us. He was going to come upstairs to check some stuff in the apartment. And I said, um, I messaged him and I said, I think we just, we're not feeling great. Let's, let's delay it a few days. And instead we went and got it tested. And of course we had COVID oh. and we were so glad that we rearranged that visit. We didn't feel that awful, but obviously it was really scary still at that point. So for those two weeks, we had to completely isolate at home, you know, now everyone knows how that works, but in November it was still pretty scary. I remember all my friends and family in South Africa were just mm-hmm. kind of like really scared. And I have another friend who's in New Zealand, and of course in New Zealand there was basically no cases of mm. COVID. So. so that was the first time that we had COVID. <laughs> okay, speaking of the first time, I'm guessing I'm going to go into your second time. When was the second time? The second time really felt like um, we had COVID in September, October. Mm-hmm. Vaccines started being rolled out in January. It was very controlled, of course, but by March, I was actually able to get vaccinated um, because journalists qualified for vaccinations because mm-hmm. we were working in a public space. And I was working on a short film about loosely about the pandemic it was really specifically about community fridges which is like an initiative that was started in communities to support neighbors who needed food Mm -hmm. and essentially volunteers rescue food and put it in these fridges that are accessible 24 7 
so I worked on that film for a whole week. It was challenging, you know, working in production, as you know, is a very challenging area to work in, in terms mm. of staying socially distant and being safe and not putting other people at risk. So we were pretty careful. We did a lot of testing. It was a very small crew. It was just me and one other person. And we always were very trying to be very careful. And a week later, I was able to qualify for the first shot. So I got the first shot, started feeling ill. About two days, everything kind of looked like it was just the normal symptoms of mm. feeling sick. But it just kind of didn't get better. And yeah. a week later, I started coughing and having like kind of bronchitis symptoms. And my husband called his friend who's a doctor. And the doctor said, you know, just go and get a test. <laughs> And I said, why? I just got the first shot. I'm, you know, like this, this is just side effects of the vaccine. Yeah. And he said, no, I've had some people who've, who've contracted COVID in between the two shots. And so we went and got t tested. And of course, we had COVID again. Oh. Less than six months after the previous time. Um, and this time, my husband had, his symptoms were very mild, but mine were a little bit more scary i didn't actually by the time i found out i, I had mm. covid like tested for it i was over the worst of the symptoms but okay. in retrospect it was a little bit more scary mm. than the first time and the government actually called us and did an extensive interview because we were part of a study because oh, really? we tested positive twice within six months so they were going to do some additional tests on our samples i think oh. because they were tracking variants mm. oh wow jeez did you end up getting your second shot so then i got my second shot right after i started feeling better i was able to get the second shot <laughs> and by the summer most people qualified for the vaccines and were able to get them and today i think they re released yesterday that 65% of adults in New York City have are fully vaccinated now. Oh, wow. Oh, that must be a relief, though, like just knowing that you're in a space where you were able to even get vaccinated. Well, exactly, but it's a relief. But, you know, this is that dual existence of having close ties with home in South Africa mm -hmm. is you kind of – it feels like such an injustice and, and dichotomy to be – here and mm. to have been vaccinated three four months before my parents who are you know in their okay. late 60s yeah even got access to a vaccine and the the kind of injustice of that and yeah just the way that people talk about other countries and mm. about getting vaccines people i generally just find here there's a lot of privilege that people don't really realize that they have and that was a weird thing to kind of just feel to realize like by accident of where I am and where I live I got this huge privilege mm. of access to vaccines yeah I mean even speaking of that of home when was the last time you were home so the last time I was home was it was January of 2019 Oh, okay. So you said you so, got married in December of 2018? So yeah, so we got married on the 28th, and then we just, you know, we left the 
first week of January, we came back here. So that was our last time back in Cape Town. So it's now, it's, it's about two and a half years. And how's that been? It's been hard. You know, I live here now. This is kind of my home. Mm. But the way that I've been able to kind of be okay with being so far away from my parents and my grandparents and my home, it's been hard. I think the way that I've managed to be okay with being so far away from my parents and my grandparents and my friends and this place that I love mm. very much is by going home once a year and staying there for a month at least <laughs> or ideally two months. And I feel kind of sad that I haven't been able to do that. You know, it's been, it's, I really miss home and I really miss mm. my family. And it's also just been heartbreaking that it's, it's been a really difficult time for South Africa. And yeah. the pandemic has just brought to light, like it has done all over the world, including New York City, it's brought to light all the inequality and daily yeah. challenges that people live with and just laid bare those inequalities, that hardship. And it's been kind of heartbreaking to be have to read through, you know, the newspapers and just like, read about South Africa, but not be there and not be able to kind of feel connected. So it's, it's been a challenge in that way. And, and the other thing that's kind of like weird about my stuck abroad situation is that because I kind of live here now, I could go home. The challenge is I can't come back. Mm. Easily. So in a way I'm stuck here but in another way i'm not stuck here at all i'm kind of choosing to stay here because i would be stuck in south africa if i were there mm. so either way it's kind of like a weird situation and yeah it's been it's been a hard well hard two and a half years i really miss home yeah i can imagine and i'm so sorry i really am and i hear you um but like how do you think you're just coping now overall, like going into 2021? Um, well, I'm hoping that I can, I'm really holding on to the fact that I'm really hoping I can come home before the <laughs> end of the year. Oh. It's looking a little bit unlikely because yeah. my stuck abroad situation is, is kind of exacerbated by visa regulations and, mm where I'm at in my visa journey. And so I'm, I'm not actually really able to, I can travel right now. I'd have to get a new visa while I'm in South Africa, but the embassies are closed, so I can't mm. do that. So I'd have to go back to South Africa, then go somewhere else to get the visa processed and run the risk of not being able, being to, able to do that. Yeah. And not being able to come back home. And what's weird about being here and freelancing here now for like, seven years is just this feeling of like, well, actually I have responsibilities here that I can't yeah. just leave. And that's a new thing. That's something that I feel like we've only really established in the last year or so mm. that we have things here that we need to look after mm. and we can't just kind of check out for an indefinite amount of time. But that's also such a privilege in a way because like, so it's a very contradictory feeling because I'm also so aware that 
that is privilege, right? That yeah. is the definition of privilege. You're in a first world country, you have a job, you have you can survive out of mm. freelancing in a field that you're passionate about. And you're scared of going home because you're worried you won't be able to come back in. And lose And so that's built. just Yeah, so it's a contradictory feeling because it's it's I'm just so um aware that that is just a very privileged position to be in. But at the same time I you know I miss my mom. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's like that ends up being what you think about and what ends up being the most important thing. Something just as simple as saying that. Like, I miss my mom and it's important. Yeah. And my family is kind of, my sister lives in Singapore and she got married kind of during the pandemic. And she's always been planning this big wedding in Cape Town, but it keeps getting delayed. And so eventually they just had to, you know, do the paperwork in Singapore. And so we we have a lot to celebrate when we can get together (laughs) again. But it might still be a while. Might still be a while. And I think that's where a lot of people find themselves right now. But we all just, you know, need to trudge on. And I do feel like I'm trying to ask myself to, to also see it as like an opportunity to learn about myself and those feelings of what is important and mm. and I think everyone has had to go through a bit of that this year where it's a new perspective and I think especially in a place like New York City where it's like everyone is just so focused on work and what are you doing where are you going how do you survive you know people are focused on work out of necessity because it's it's a hard place to live and you need to be working to live yeah. here. But it's also kind of like a, a place where there's like a lot of like ambition and people really want to do things and they have a plan. And I think what the pandemic has shown me is like, I don't really want to live like that all the time. Yeah. And I want to find a way to be here and, and also value things up beyond work. I want to value yeah. my time with my husband. I want to value my time with my family when I can spend it with them again and friendship friendships is another big one because I realized I have very very dear friends in, in Cape Town and South Africa and there's no replacing good friends I wholeheartedly agree there I really really do Gareth thank you so much thank you so much for your time I'm so happy to be here and thank you for having me I hope I wasn't too rambly No, no, I love it when people just like open up and tell us about their lives. And I thank you. And I'm just really grateful that you were willing, you know, to speak about your experiences and what you've been through and just what you're feeling. I think it's important that we, you know, open up about these things right now for all of us. Well, thank you for having me, Zola. It's it's been a pleasure to talk with you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you as well. Bye, Gareth. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. See you next time. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. You can follow us on Instagram at COVIDSluckAbroad. On Facebook, you can search for CSA to like the page. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at COVIDSluckAbroad at gmail.com. Please see show notes for the links. This episode of COVID Stuck Abroad was produced by Zola Zegit with funding from the National Arts Council's Presidential Employment Stimulus Program. The episodes were recorded at Solar Gold Studios.